0: And uh, we're going to continue in our series, uh, and we're going to end it today, actually. The Holy Spirit in the church, we've been looking at the book of Acts, but we're going to end in the book of Romans. We've been following Paul's journey, we've seen uh, the discernment of the Spirit's direction in his life, and here we're going to end looking at Paul's words in the book of of Romans. And as I was praying through what God wanted us to share, I believe that this is the passage that God wants us to end this series, the Holy Spirit in the church on. And we're going to be looking at Romans 8, 11 through 17. But before we dive into that, I want to share with you a, a quick clip from a film. Now, here's the thing. I couldn't believe this, but this movie is th- almost 30 years old. Which you know, as I grew up with this movie, The Sandlot, and some of you may have grown up with it, it's almost thirty years old. That makes me feel old, right? But there's a a, a, a portion of this particular story of this movie that I want you to watch, and I'll explain why uh, as soon as it's done. The bee's got it. You're dead as a doornail, Smalls. You're dead as a doornail, Smalls. Smalls. You mean to tell me that you went home and swiped a ball that was signed by Babe Ruth and you brought it out here and actually played with it? And actually played with it? Yeah. Yeah, but I was gonna bring it back. But it was signed by Babe Ruth. Yeah. 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 You keep telling me that. Who is she? What? What? The Sultan of Swats. The King of Crash. The Colossus of Cloud. The Colossus of Cloud. Babe Ruth, the great Bambino. You may remember that uh, that wonderful image. Who is she, right? He had no idea who Babe Ruth was. It wasn't a babe, it was a... Baseball player, the greatest baseball player to ever live. Now, he might not still be the greatest baseball player to ever live, but the reality is, is that Smalls had no idea the identity of this person, right? And this is where we get the phrase, You're killing me, Smalls. I say that to my kids all the time. They're like, I have no idea what you're referencing, Dad. I've failed as a father, <laughs> right? But there's this, there's this sense of, of, of lost identity, not knowing who Babe Ruth is. And I think that when it comes to our identity in Christ, those of us who are believers, sometimes we ask the same question about ourselves. Who, who am I? What is my identity? What, what is the identity that I'm supposed to have as a believer? And we fail to recognize the fullness of of who we are. Imagine also the Lion King, Simba, who wrestled with his own identity. It's one of my favorite stories in all of Disney lore because there's this beautiful, this beautiful moment where he remembers and recognizes who he is. And I believe that the Lord wants to do that with us this morning because the enemy really loves to distort our identity. Things that you often hear me say if you've been here for more than a year is I'll often say that the enemy's main goal is to hinder our identity of who we are and to hinder the identity of who God is. Because if he can wreck one or both of those things, we are not going to be living into the fullness of who we are. We're not going to be living into the fullness of who we are. We listen to the lies of the enemy. He, he comes in and, and, and distorts the reality. And when we listen to the lies and live into the shame, we forget who we are. The enemy likes to bring up past sins. He likes to say, oh, remember what you did? Remember how bad this was? Remember how awful you were? God couldn't possibly love you. There's no way he would love you. And we believe into the lies of our identity that I'm worthless. I'm not good. I'm, I'm not good for anything except destruction or, or the bad that has come my way. But when we live into those lies and we live into the shame, we forget who we are. We are not those things. As believers, as those who have fallen in love with Christ and believe that He is our Savior, that is not our identity. We attach those lies to our identity and we never live or even learn who we really are. I'm going to make a point that I want you to to grasp because this is important for us. Our identity fuels our lifestyle. Our identity fuels our lifestyle. What I mean by that is is as we see ourselves, that is how we will live. If we feel that we are nothing but a mess, we will live that way. If we believe that we are worthless, we will continue to live that way, putting that false identity upon ourselves. And when someone says something to us, we'll say, yep, see, I'm I'm just terrible, I'm awful. How we identify ourselves is how we will live. So this passage that we're going to look at is so important for us to grasp, to understand how the Holy Spirit is the one who whispers our true identity into our spirits. It is vital for us to understand who we really are. Rob Reamer, a doctor at Alliance Theological Seminary, said, if the foundation is faulty, the building is in jeopardy. What you believe about yourself is the foundation of your life. It is your identity, and a faulty foundation will create cracks in the soul. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and to me about our true identity. So the question that we'll be looking at is what identity does the Spirit desire to reveal to us? What is this identity that will fuel our lives in a great, mighty, and powerful way? When we look at all that we saw from the book of Acts, how do we live into that? How do we understand who we are so that we can be the believers that we're called to be? So you'll open up to Romans 8, verses 11 through 17. It'll be on the screen. Those of you who are online, it'll be on the screen. You can also open your app or your Bible, however you choose to read these passages. Romans 8, 11 through 17. The word of the Lord. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified in Him. Some of the most powerful words in Scripture. Understanding our true identity. So what is the first thing that Paul goes after to help us understand our true identity that the Spirit of God speaks over us, the first thing that we see is that the flesh no longer needs to control our actions. The flesh no longer needs to control our actions. One of the things that the enemy loves to do is to torture us with our past sins, to continue to bring those up, to continue to say, listen, you see this pattern of sinfulness in your life, you'll never be able to break it, so you might as well just give into it you see this pattern of sin God could never really love you this your flesh will always control your life your flesh will always be in charge so why not just give into it stop resisting it but here it says that the spirit of God when we are walking by the spirit the flesh no longer controls us We no longer have to be controlled by the sin patterns of our lives. We no longer have to fall back into that lifestyle, but we can push beyond it, not because of our own power, but because the Spirit of the living God is controlling us. We must continue then to surrender to His work, surrender to His empowerment, surrender to His will for our lives. It is possible to break off those sins. But the enemy would love to make you believe differently. And so we wander through this process saying, I'm nothing but a continual mess up. I'm nothing but a continual failure. See, but the Holy Spirit says something different. He says, in and of your own flesh, yeah, you will continue to go towards that. But let me control you. Let me walk with you. Let me give you the ability to break off those things. Because it is possible. Because with God, all things are possible. When we live in the Spirit, fueled by faith and understanding of who we really are, those curses and those sins will be broken off of us. And Paul's words, he says very specifically, how do we know this? He says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. If the Holy Spirit can raise Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of God that raised Jesus back to life, there is nothing that he cannot do, amen? He can give us life. He gives us the fuel to live into our identity, understanding who we are, saying, you know what, enemy, you can't say any of that because it's not true. I have been bought with a price. I've been changed. I've been renewed. I've been regenerated. And I no longer have to walk in that. I can now walk in victory. There is no battle that he cannot win on your behalf. There is nothing that you and I cannot overcome. Now we look at the pain of the world and we look at all of the the craziness of abuse and all the terrible things that can happen within a family, within a person's life. But the Spirit of God can bring healing. The Spirit of God can bring change. The Spirit of God can bring transformation if we understand who we are and we lean into who He says that we are. We can be changed and transformed for eternity, made new. We no longer have to live in the past. We can live for now. And that's some powerful truth. Because if the Holy Spirit of God can raise Christ from the dead, there's nothing he cannot do in your life. In Ephesians 1, 1 through 2, we see Paul talking to the church in Ephesus, and he says, listen, you're no longer sinners, but you're saints. When you and I come to Christ, we no longer have to have this identity of sinner plastered across our forehead. Some people say, well, we're sinners saved by grace. Yes, we are saved by grace as sinners, but we are no longer sinners because the grace of God has covered over our sin. And now we can walk in our sainthood. We can now walk as saints. We no longer have to walk in that way. Our identity is changed where we were not part of the family of God. We are now part of the family of God and our identity is changed. We no longer have to live in a false identity. Do not believe the lie of the enemy that you are trapped in your sin. Because as a believer, you are not. And if you've not yet come to Christ as your personal Lord and Savior... There is freedom for you. Truth from the scriptures that will change and transform your life. The second part of the identity that he desires to speak into your life this morning is that fear is no longer our foundation. Fear is no longer our foundation. You know, we often walk in fear, do we not? Just look around you with all that has been going on in our society. Look at government. Look at the sickness, the health of, of our society, of our global world. And you can see people walking and living in fear constantly. Walking in this understanding of, man, anything could go wrong at any minute. I, I, I need to be anxious and nervous about things. But here, he says very specifically, because of who we are We no longer have to go back into the slavery of fear, but we can walk in freedom. If we believe the truth of our identity, we can walk fearless. Understanding who we really are, we do not have to walk in a foundation of fear. Sometimes we live in life with fear of rejection, fear of abandonment. Fear of pain that might come. Fear of looking foolish. I, 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 I don't have that fear. <laughs> I like to look foolish. It's fun. Uh, but, you know, this idea of, of fear about life, that we have to be afraid that if I do this or if I say that, that person won't love me anymore. If I act this way, that person will walk away from me. See, that's not who God is. That is not who God is. Once you are in his family, you will not be rejected. You will not be pushed away. You cannot be set aside. He has said, you are my child, my son, my daughter. Do not be afraid. I remember when I was a little kid and I would spend time with with my dad. He was was a big guy. He's like 6'2". And I'd walk around. I wouldn't have to be afraid of anything knowing that he could handle it. He He would protect me. I was safe with my father. And here he's whispering the same thing. Listen, I'm big. (laughs) I'm bad. (laughs) The enemy can't handle me. I will protect you. I will care for you. You do not have to fall into slavery of fear because fear is slavery. When we build our foundation of our life upon fear, it is chaining us to the ground. I think many people are not living in the fullness of the truth of who they are because they're afraid. They're walking and living in fear. I believe this so much that, that I, God convicted me to write a book called The Phobia, Live in, uh, the Phobia Driven Church, <laughs> right? How we're so afraid. Now, it's probably going to take three years to get out into the public. But the reality is, is there are so many different phobias and fears that the church and the individual believer is walking in that it's chaining them to the ground chaining them to the ground. We find our identity in the opinions, proximity, and position or love from others. Now, here's the thing. We walk into this idea of who our identity is seeing who says we are somebody. And this is where parents, we have a very important role in the life of our children. Because we, for the first 10 years of their lives, are speaking their identity into them how we treat them how we speak to them how we love them that's going to speak to their identity and as fathers you and i have an even greater weight because we are showing them the father in heaven how we love and treat our children will be a mirror of how they first experience god their father Many times people have a terrible view of God because they had a terrible father. We have to do better. We have to love our children better. We have to protect our children better. We have to care for our children better. If we are believers in Christ as men, we need to model and mirror our Abba Father. Soapbox over for a second. We need to understand that every human has the desire for belonging, significance, and security. And as parents, we need to give that acceptance and that belonging and that security to them. Otherwise, their foundation will be weak when they come to their faith. And they'll be afraid of rejection, of abandonment, and not being protected. We fall easily in our lives with a foundation of fear. If we are afraid, and we're walking in constant fear, our foundation will crumble easily. Because the enemy can just wipe us out. He could bring something along the way that causes so much fear that we step down and we stop pushing and moving in the truth of who we are. And here, he promises that you are not in the slavery of fear, but you are children of of God. It's that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God, as a powerful, powerful song. To move from a foundation of fear to a foundation of security, we must first allow the Spirit of God to speak the truth of who He is and of who we are into our hearts. To not be afraid of the enemy's lies. To not believe all of the things that he is saying about us or about God. But to go to the word of God and allow the spirit of God to speak deeply to us. The spirit offers an identity based on the security of sonship. You see, you and I as children of God, daughters and sons, that's our security. That is who we are. When we walk into this world, we need to allow the Spirit of God to whisper the truth of our childhood in Christ. Knowing that we are sons and daughters, when fear comes or this idea of living into the flesh comes, we could say, no, this is who I am. I am a child of God who is loved by God, who God cares for, who God empowers, who God strengthens to do that which He's called me to do. And we have a big Father who can handle anything. And if the Spirit of God can raise Christ from the dead, there is nothing He cannot do in your life. It's important that we grasp this because I think... In our minds, cognitively, when we come to a passage like this, we can think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. But are you really allowing the Spirit of God to whisper that identity into your heart, into your spirit, to recognize the fullness of who you are, the depth of God's love? Imagine a father when their their child is born and they hold their child for the first time and the the moment of passion that that father has over his child. Picture that. That is the love that God has for you. Now, I'll be honest, when, when MJ was born, I didn't have this deep, intimate connection uh, that, that his mom had because she carried him for nine months. But the moment I touched my child for the first time and held him in my arms, I felt the weight of my love for him. I was connected. That is how God loves you. That is the passion that he has for you. But often we just read these passages and say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a child of God. But when we really feel the weight of our sonship or daughtership, when we really grasp the fullness of God's love for us, despite what we've done, despite what has happened to us, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us, amen? amen? We are children of God, deeply loved by the father and this is why i say fathers we've got to do better because we've got to show our children what passionate love looks like we have to care for our children in a way that god would care for them where we whisper their identity into them even when they're teenagers and they don't care tell them anyways Because when they grow older and they remember the words of love that you've spoken over them, it will change their lives. Daughters won't choose ridiculously stupid men anymore because they will look and say, Man, I know what a good man is supposed to be like. Sons won't be dingbats for their entire lives because they'll say, Man, I've got to be a man like my dad. You see, we have a problem in our society. If you were to look at the numbers of fatherlessness in our society, it's awful. There was actually one study done that was a specific cancer that men had. And it was was done by John Hopkins over a series of 20 years. And I can't remember the specific cancer, but it was a cancer that was in each and every one of these men. And the only thing that came down to a similar foundation for these men was fatherlessness. Now, if you look at our our judicial uh, judicial system and you see the young men and the young women that are incarcerated, 90% of them have a history of fatherlessness. 90%. So if dads would be dads who love their children, the criminal system would be different different. This is how vital, important it is for us to grasp the identity that God has for us as a father who loves his child no matter what. Parents, you know that sometimes your kids are foolish and they do really dumb things. I know, I was a child like that, right? But my father always still loved me. My father still forgave me, He still hugged me. He still said, I love you. Maybe after he yelled for a while. (laughs) God loves you. If you grab nothing else from this, remember that God loves you. Because he speaks that identity to you. That you are a son and a daughter. You've been adopted into my family. Now, in, in Roman times, when someone was adopted into a family, they were adopted, they were like blood. And that is exactly what he is saying here. That you are adopted into the family of God, it's, you're my own. There is no stepchild in the kingdom of God. There is no grandchild in the kingdom of God. Just sons and daughters. Which brings me to the next aspect of the identity that God desires to reveal to us, and that's we are adopted children of the king. Now this is different than just a regular family. This is a big deal, that we are adopted into the family of a king, which makes you a prince and a princess in the kingdom of God. Now that's a lot of princes and princesses, which is awesome, because what little girl doesn't want to be a princess? Amen. We are adopted into the family of the king. And listen what he says, that we are co-heirs with Christ. Do you understand what that means? Check this out. God, our Father, loves you and I, the children of the king, as much as he loves Jesus. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what to do to say to blow your mind. Because Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who is part of the Trinity, he is loved just as much as you and I are loved. We have the same lavish love that God has for him. My goodness, that is mind-boggling. That is so outrageous. How could it be possible that a fool like me could be loved like Jesus by the Father who knows all things? How is that possible? But it is. It is possible because he says it's true. The spirit of God is the witness to our true identity. Have we really allowed the full weight of God's love to impact us? Cuz I guarantee you that when you do, when you experience that, you will live differently. Cuz you can walk around know I'm loved. I know I'm loved. I don't care what the enemy does. I really don't care what's going on around me in the world because I'm loved. I know where I'm going. I know the king wins. I'm a prince in the kingdom. and God has given us power and God has given us the ability to speak truth into this world, to show people who Jesus is, to speak about who Jesus is, to share the love that says no matter what you've done, God still loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. That's transforming Love. That's impactful, powerful love. Man, listen, you and I need to rest in who we are. We need to rest in the reality of our identity and stop wrestling and striving for something that we already have attained as believers. We don't have to strive for the love of man because we already have the love of God. Amen. Amen. We don't have to strive. How hard do we work to make people love us? How hard do we make to try to, to make someone think that we're great? And how hard do we strive to say, you know what? I need to be noticed. How often do we try so hard when we don't have to? Because here we see that we are children of God, that the Spirit of God whispers to our spirit that we are beloved. We don't have to strive to make man happy. We just need to live and rest in the love and not wrestle with it and not disagree with it. You know, sometimes people will lavish love. Sometimes I'll say to someone, man, I love you. Why? I'm not. I'm not don't, don't love me. You're great. No, no, not great. God says you are. God says you are adapted into his family. Stop wrestling in a way, listening to the lies of the enemy that says you can't possibly be loved that deeply because it's a lie. You can be loved that deeply. Which leads me to (coughs) this idea of how we live into who we are. If we forget whose we are, we will forget who we are. And thus, we'll forget why we are. Listen, when we are not walking in our true identity, we begin to fail to understand who we are. And when we fail to understand who we are, we will not be walking in the purpose that Jesus has for us. Remember last week we talked about purpose, that God has a purpose for each and every one of us in this room. But we cannot walk into that purpose and live into that purpose fully until we understand who we are. And that comes with understanding whose we are. God has a purpose for your life and you can walk fully into it, recognizing who you are and whose you are. Because you are His. Imagine that. Sometimes we don't rest and allow that to really dig deep into our hearts. But only the Spirit of God can witness this to your spirit. We need to ask the Spirit of God, you know, I'm not feeling your love. Bear witness to who I really am. Bear witness to who I really am. And let me just take a a side note. When we try to come to the Lord pretending we're someone that we're not, We're not going to feel his love. We need to come fully, admitting who we really are and say, here's what I'm messing up with. Here's the pain. Here's the struggle. I know you're going to love me anyway, so I'm just going to put it all out. That's when we'll really feel his love. We need to come before him, naked and unashamed, declaring who we are and allowing him to love us, not wrestling, but resting. And this leads me to the next aspect of identity that God wants to reveal to us and that's that we have access to intimacy we have access to intimacy one of my favorite phrases in this passage is this for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry abba father now the word abba in greek is the most intimate word for father that you can imagine. It would be like, if we were to translate that into English, the only word that makes sense is daddy. Daddy. We have intimacy with God that is available for us to rest In our daddy. Now, sometimes we say, you know, man, when our kids get older, they're like 10, we just tell them to stop calling us daddy. Just call us dad or father. I think that's wrong. Because our kids should be able to have that sense of deep intimacy with us and say, you know what, I can call you daddy and not be embarrassed by it. You know, I know a kid in middle school who called his daddy daddy and he got teased. We go, oh, you should call him dad. Well, man, there's a depth of relationship that comes with daddy. I told my kids whenever they were little, they'd always tried to call me Dad, I hated dada. I was like, call me daddy. Because it's beautiful. It's powerful. It's intimate. And you and I have access to that intimacy with our daddy. Picture this. You have a horrible day. Things are awful. You've just picture the worst thing that could happen to you. But when you come to the, the time of prayer with God, he holds you and he says, Daddy's here. Man, I can't picture anything else more powerful. That's how God loves you. That's the depth of intimacy that God wants to have. With you, And that's one of the reasons why, again, I say, fathers, we have to do better. When our kids come home, and I, I'm putting myself in this process because I fail at this often, but when our kids come home and they have a terrible day and they're a little bit grumpy and they're really frustrating us, maybe we should stop and say, you know what, what happened at school? And when I've stopped and asked that question, tears flow sometimes. And I'll hold my child and I'm say, I'm sorry, you had a bad day. Now, I know, like, you might say, well, mom's the nurturing one. Yeah, sometimes that needs to happen. But dads, we need to step in and be nurturing as well. Because we can be the ones that are always like, oh, stop doing that. I know, I'm, that's me, sometimes. We need to do better. A.B. Simpson says this in his book, Power from on High. He says, the Holy Ghost brings us into the same relation with the Father as Jesus Christ, the Divine Son. We are all born ones, even as he is the firstborn one and only begotten. We partake of his very sonship, and as the bride shares the bridegroom's family and home, so we enter into all privileges, immunities, glories, and prospects of Christ's own glorious life. Christ understood who he was. That's why, that's why Jesus, when he would talk about his father, he would say, Abba. When Jesus would talk about his father, he would say, Abba. So if you're saying, oh, I can't say daddy to to God, well, Jesus did. He understood the depths of his intimacy with his father. So he was unashamed to cry out, Abba. Your Abba father wants to be closer to you than he is. And it's not on him, that's on us. God wants to whisper the truth of who you are through the power of the Spirit to your spirit. And that word, Spirit to the Spirit, is the core of who we are. Because the Spirit desires to speak to the core of who you are. We have to simply rest in His love. Stop fighting for it, stop scrapping for it, stop trying to strive in our lives, but just rest. And hear the truth of who God says you are. This has been transformative in my life. When I got this point and understood this portion of scripture, I was able to be a different person, not because of myself, but because I was transformed by the love of God. And maybe you have had a bad experience with your father. Maybe you grew up with a horrible father. And I pray that God will break that curse over you so that you can see who he is. So that you don't have this mirror as you look to your earthly father, but you can see him for who he is and how desperately he loves you. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Because it's really easy sometimes when we listen to a sermon or we read passages to say, oh, that was really good. Yeah, thank you, God. I feel the weight of that. And then we walk out, and it's, it's not different. So what I want us to do together is you, you're sitting next to someone that you know and love. And if you're not, go find someone that, that knows you and loves you in this room. And I want you to pray over one another. And I want you to, to pray over the person next to you and, and take time and really pray that that person will allow the Spirit of God to whisper to their spirit that they are a child of God.